Morning. I am in the fourth week of a sermon series through 1 Thessalonians, which is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders of the early church. He had started this church in Thessalonica along with some other church leaders and then got run out of town by a mob of angry Jews, and he had not had the opportunity to go back. But he writes this letter to this church to pour out his heart to encourage them in their faith. And in this particular passage that we're going to read this morning, he gets into the whole part about why he has not been able to make it there and how he feels about that. Um, and it's going to have a lot to, to tell us, and it's relevant to us today, about um, how we make it through difficult times ourselves. And so I'm going to read beginning in chapter 2, verse 17, all the way up to chapter 3, verse 13 this morning. So this is Paul's letter to the church of Thessalonica. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, and we sent Timothy who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And as it turned out that way, as you, and it turned out that way, as you well know, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. And he has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Let me pray before we continue. Lord, at this time we ask that you would open up our ears to hear this clearly and to open up our hearts to understand this. That you would apply this to our lives by your Holy Spirit. Whatever we are meant to hear, whatever we are meant to put into practice, Lord, we pray that you would make that clear to us today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this passage, Paul is expressing how torn up he is about not being able to make it back to Thessalonica, that he started this church and then he got run out of town and he hasn't been able to make it back. And he's obviously very anxious about whether they've continued in their faith or whether they've lost their faith, whether the trials have overcome them or not. And he knows that they're worried about him as well. And he can't make it there and he lets them know why. But he he tells them that thankfully they were able to send Timothy. And now he's writing this letter in response to Timothy's report, that Timothy went and he comes back and he reports good things, you know, that they are encouraged that they miss you as much as we miss them. And so he's grateful for that. And he ends this section by pouring out a prayer 
for them, letting them know what he is praying for them about. And, and when I step back and just kind of look at this passage, I saw four currents, I guess you could say, flowing through this passage um, that I want to highlight this morning that I think are relevant for us. The first is this. I think this one's especially relevant, right? Life is hard. You know, sometimes we gloss over all the references that Paul makes to struggle and persecution and trouble and the enemy and all of these things. You know, we're just kind of reading through. But when you stop and really reflect on it and all the times he's referring to just how hard it was, he says, brothers, we were torn away from you for a short time. In person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. And you sometimes gloss over the emotion behind that, right? That he was with this people that he loved, and he was torn away, thrown out basically by this mob that wanted to kill him. And he genuinely longed to see them again and be with them again, but he just couldn't. And every attempt he made was just thwarted, it seems, by the enemy. And so he continues talking about how they sent Timothy, but he says... We sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. And you know quite well we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way. Again, you're facing trials. We're facing trials. We're being persecuted, opposition at every end. And in verse 7, he says, Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. So in this short passage, we have Paul talking about relational heartache and unfulfilled longings and his longing to see them and how he's not sure that they're okay and how thankful he is to finally hear from Timothy that they are, but all the spiritual oppression and opposition he's facing, the trials, the distress, the persecution. And this current that I see flowing through is just, again, how hard life is, how hard life was for Paul. There's one place in particular when you look at Paul's letters where he goes into greater detail about just what he means by all this suffering. Ready for this one? This is from 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29. He says, are they servants of Christ? He's talking about this when there was a group who was trying to discredit him as an apostle. He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I'm more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. In other words, they thought that 40 lashes would kill a person, so they would do the 40 minus one to make sure you stayed alive in a great deal of pain. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? So that's what we're talking about here, right? When I just say life is hard and when he just makes these offhanded references to persecution and difficulties and trials, this is what we're talking about here. That Paul, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, the risen Jesus turned his life around and sent him out to preach the gospel that Jesus 
had died for the sins of people everywhere and that all were welcome back into a relationship with God if they would turn from their sins and put their faith in Jesus. This was a message that was not a very popular message. He's going around preaching that Jesus Christ is Lord in a Roman Empire that preached that Caesar is Lord. Okay? So he is going around contradicting the main message of the Roman Empire everywhere he goes, that no, we're not to bow our knee to Caesar and worship him as Lord. We're to worship Jesus as Lord alone. Hence, the persecutions and the beatings and the imprisonments and all of that. And he's going to talk to, this, to, to, the, to the Jews and tell them the same message. The Jews who believe that there is one God, and here he is saying that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus is God in human flesh, and they see it as blasphemy, that he is worthy of death because of this blasphemy. So God has sent him out to preach this message that is going to get him in a lot of danger from everyone who hears it, persecuted, oppressed, opposed, jailed, all over the place, everywhere he goes. And then even though he sees success with these churches that then are started, he says he feels even more anxious about them and concerned for them as if they were his own children. And he's concerned for their safety and their well-being and their faith. So yeah, life is hard. And yeah, life doesn't always go according to plan. Paul wanted to set his agenda. I'm going to go back to Thessalonica, but it says Satan opposed him. And I am guessing that if you're old enough to have lived a certain amount of time, you know that life is hard, right? That yeah, it was hard for Paul, but it's, it's hard for us as well. That we all, like Paul, deal with unfulfilled longings. That sometimes maybe we longed to be married and we're not, or we longed to have a good marriage and it didn't turn out that way, or we longed for children that never came, or we longed for better health than what we were dealt, or for a better job than what we have. And there's all these longings and suffering that comes as a result. Or we may be experiencing relational heartache, health troubles. And on top of that, some of us are growing older and dealing with the aches and pains of that, of growing older. And soon enough, everyone we love will be parted from us by death, whether they go first or we go. And if you believe in Jesus and want to share the gospel, you too will face opposition, that it will not be a popular message to share the truth of what God says. Life is hard. And we have it easy compared to many around the world, right? We're just talking about Americans, right? Here we are sitting in our comfortable chairs with food in our fridge when we go home and clean water and sanitation and all of that. You know, we've got it easy compared to many others around the world. But if we're reading our Bibles, it should not surprise us that life is hard. As Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you would have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And he also says this in John 15. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world, for I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, 
they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. So yeah, life is hard. It doesn't always go according to plan. It didn't for Paul. It doesn't for us. It's full of suffering and unfulfilled longings and persecution. And then just to add to that, I see this second current running through this passage, that evil is real. It says, brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. Satan stopped us. There was an enemy who stopped us from doing what we felt God had called us to do. And then later on in the passage, he refers to him as the tempter. And his fear that the tempter had somehow tempted the Thessalonians to leave Jesus to abandon their faith. So yeah, life is hard, but there's more than just relational challenges and health issues. There is also a level of evil and wickedness that is beyond our ability to contain and fix. There's holocausts and genocides and school shooters and serial killers that seem immune to any laws or education or therapy. There's a level of evil beyond which us humans can contain because there is an enemy. There is a devil. There are demons that are working against the plans of God. Think of Ephesians 6. Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So yeah, life is hard, but it's worse than that. Evil is real. And around the world, there's many cultures where this is just accepted, that there is a spiritual realm and there are evil spirits. In America, however, we're a little more sophisticated than that, right? The whole concept of devil and demons just seems so antiquated and primitive. Our American culture wants to teach us that everything has a natural cause and that if we can just come up with better laws, better leaders, more education, better therapy, then we can handle whatever evil this world has. You'd think we would have learned after a couple thousand years that's just not going to happen. That is not the case. There is a level of evil beyond which humans can contain. That even some of the greatest civilizations, the most educated civilizations like the Germans ended up the Holocaust, doing the Holocaust, right? There's a level of evil beyond which we can control. And what's worse about the evil thing is that it's not just something out there. It's something that has made its way into our hearts as well. Alexander Solzhenitsyn Put it this way, he's someone who experienced evil firsthand in the Soviet Union. He said, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being, and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? That evil is not just something out there, but it is something that has seeped into our own hearts. As Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, he says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. 
It's a frightening phrase there, isn't it? He's saying that there's a way with our thoughts and our actions that we can leave the door open just to crack in our hearts for the devil to get his foot in there. He says one of those ways, he says, is to let anger kind of build and not deal with it. Gives the devil a foothold. He says there is a level of evil beyond which our ability to control. And there is a devil who is opposed to you, to the plans and purposes of God and the people of God, that we can give him a foothold by the thoughts and actions that we have that are against God's will. The Bible's big word for this is sin, of course. That there is sin, a brokenness between us and God, a brokenness that happened then between us and nature and us and others and us and ourselves. And yes, in our pride, we think that we can fix it ourselves. We can just make it better ourselves. If we were only read the right books and got the right therapy, that we can fix it and elect the right leaders to put in place the right laws, then we'll get rid of this evil. But it's beyond our ability to control. So I see these two currents flowing through 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 and 3, that life is hard and that evil is real. That's kind of the backdrop. And then he gets into, well, what are we going to do about this? What's his response to the fact that life is hard and evil is real? Third thing that I see is this, that prayer is essential. That is the third current I see. Because he can't go to them. He has been stopped by going to the Thessalonians, and he lets them know, I am praying earnestly for you. He says, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Life is hard, evil is real, and it's prevented Paul from being able to be present with the Thessalonians. So all he can do is pray. And I know even just the way I said that, it makes it sound like all he could do is pray. But is that not the most important thing that he could do, is pray for them? To recognize that even though he can't, God can, God is more than capable, that even if he can't be there, guess what? God can still care for them. God can still grow their faith, protect them from the enemy. Paul does not have to be present for that to happen. And I know that the world, again, going to go to our American culture, ridicules the notion of thoughts and prayers, right? You know, something happens and someone says thoughts and prayers, then you have people chime in, thoughts and prayers, you know. What a joke, and I get it. Some people who don't believe in God, of course, think prayer is a waste of time, and even those who do believe in God sometimes feel like, we need action, we need to actually give physical, tangible help, and I understand that. But prayer is a recognition that we have limitations as humans, right? That there is a level of evil in this world, beyond our ability to control it by our own laws and our own good works and anything that we can do in our own strength, that we desperately need God to act. Prayer is not meaningless. It is essential. And in this passage, Paul can't get to them, but he knows that God is there and God is in their midst. And by his Holy Spirit, he can answer his prayers, protect the Thessalonians from the enemy, build their faith up, If life is hard and evil is real, you need to pray that prayer is essential 
Prayer is how you stay connected to God, strengthened by God to face whatever comes your way. How else are you going to stand? You're not going to make it in your own strength. You weren't made to. You weren't created to make it in your own strength. You were created to rely on God's strength, to live by his strength in you. You're going to need his strength to persevere and to make it. And you're going to need his hand and help to do the things that you can't do on your own, that others can't do. In Ephesians 6, again, that great passage on spiritual warfare, Paul says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Life is hard. Evil is real. There are so many limitations on us and unfulfilled longings and things that we cannot do on our own. And no matter how proud we are in thinking, oh, I got this and I can figure this out on my own, it's a lie. You weren't meant to try to figure it out on your own. There is a God who is capable, who can strengthen you for whatever trials are coming your way, who can do what you cannot do and do what we cannot do as a people. And so pray, seek the Lord. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I mean, prayer is the ultimate act of faith, right? It is saying, it is worth my time to speak to this God that I cannot see. That that is going to be worth more than anything else I can do. To connect with him, to seek his strength, to ask him to do things that I cannot do. How's your prayer life doing? What kind of value do you place on that connection with God? Or are you too proud to pray? thinking that you got this in your own strength, that you could figure it out. It takes a great deal of humility to pray, to acknowledge your weakness, your dependence, your need. A lot of those songs that we chose this morning were about that, right? Lord, I need you. The battle belongs to the Lord. It's about there's a limit on what I can do, but there is a God without limit that I can call upon for strength, for help in time of need. There are incredible prayer people out there who have written incredible books on prayer. People like Andrew Murray and E.M. Bounds, Leonard Ravenhill, many others who are just masters of prayer, who are worth reading to see how they pray. There are opportunities in our church to come Monday evenings, 5.15, here in the sanctuary, Tuesdays, first, third, and fifth Tuesdays at noon. You can join either live here in person in the sanctuary or via Zoom. You can come up front after the service to receive prayer. There's an insert where you can write out how people can pray for you. You can come before service to pray. What is keeping you from that? What is keeping you from prayer? Is it your pride? This is why I don't want to ask for prayer. I don't want people to, you know, I don't want people to know my business. I don't want to, I'll, I'll just handle this myself. Humble yourself this morning. Life is hard and evil is real and prayer is essential. 
Paul could not make it to Thessalonica, but he could call upon the God who was there. And guess what? God protected their faith. God strengthened them. God did all the things that he could do, even without Paul's presence there. So the third current I see is that prayer is essential. Life is hard. Evil is real. Prayer is essential. The fourth current I see running through 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3 is this, that people matter eternally. People matter eternally. He says again, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. I mean, you must wonder, you think about this, like what, what was Paul's motivation? You saw that long list of what Paul went through, all the beatings and the shipwrecks and all of this to go from town to town preaching a message that was going to get him stoned and persecuted and driven out of town by both the religious people and the irreligious people. What kept him going? Part of it, of course, was his devotion to God, that he had seen the Lord Jesus and he was devoted to him. But part of it was this, that, that people matter eternally, that his desire was to see the whole world come to faith in Jesus. Because it was the truth. And he declares here in the midst of this suffering that Jesus will return. And that day when I stand before him, he says, what will be my glory? What will be my joy and my crown? It'll be you. It'll be you. That will be my reward on that day is to see you there. That you matter eternally. Matthew 6, remember Jesus told us, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why was Paul able to persevere through everything he went through? Because he wasn't living for the things of this earth, right? He was not storing up treasure in heaven. He wasn't living for his earthly comfort and pleasures. He was living for God. His treasure was these people that he was ministering to and seeing them with God forever. That was what he was doing. And so, hey, you want to beat me and stone me and throw me out of town? You're not going to stop me because I'm not living for the things of this world. I'm not living for my personal safety and comfort. I'm living for God and I'm living to see these people with God eternally. My desire is to make heaven crowded, as some say, to see more people come to Jesus. John MacArthur put it this way, invest your money in the souls of men and women who will someday greet you in heaven with thanksgiving when you arrive. It's based off of a a parable where Jesus talks about using your earthly possessions for people to bring them to faith, that that's storing up treasures in heaven not living for the things of this world, but recognizing it's people that are going to matter eternally. This world is passing away. Your car will pass away. Your home will pass away. Your clothing, every single thing that you own will pass away. But the person sitting to your right or to your left is eternal. Store up treasure in heaven means use the things that God has given you for the sake of people. 
C.S. Lewis puts it this way in The Weight of Glory. It's a long passage, but a, a beautiful one, very challenging too. He says, it may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most interesting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you say it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Sorry, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Life is hard. It was hard for Paul. It is hard for you, I know. Evil is real. There is a level of wickedness that is beyond anything that we're ever going to be able to handle as a human race. No amount of education and therapy and laws and leaders are ever going to be able to deal with it. And that is why prayer is essential. Because evil has penetrated even our own human hearts that we all have sin and we need to pray. We need to be connected to God. We need to be drawing upon his strength. We need to be asking him to do what we cannot do. And people matter eternally. Paul was able to endure everything that he endured because he wanted to see heaven crowded. He wanted to see these Thessalonians and the Ephesians and the Galatians and the Romans and everyone else come to faith in Jesus and be with him forever because he knew that the rest of this world is passing away, but people will live forever. As everlasting splendors or immortal horrors, and his desire was to see everyone there as an everlasting splendor, that they would be his joy and his crown, that that day when he stood before the Lord in glory, that he would see each person that he had had a hand in leading to Christ or in encouraging in their faith. My prayer for you is the same that you would live with that end in mind, knowing that in one day you're going to stand before God and the joy and glory it will be to look around and see those that you had a hand in leading to faith in Christ, see those you had a hand in encouraging in their faith and building up. I'm going to end the sermon here and we're going to do something that, I don't know when the last time was that we did this, but I'm going to, challenge you to do this now, okay? If prayer is essential, and I'm encouraging you to humble yourselves because prayer takes humility and admitting your need, I'm going to ask you to pray with somebody sitting near you that you 
did not come with, okay? So if you're sitting with someone related to you, I'm going to ask you to get up and go find one other person, and I want you to share with them some burden on your heart, something that has been stirred up as a result of this morning that you need prayer for, and I'm going to ask you to be bold enough to pray for each other, okay? It does not have to be the most elegant, flowery prayer. It's just talking to God on behalf of another person. That is what prayer is, okay? So I'm encouraging you right now, find someone else and take five minutes, share between the two of you something that you need prayer for and then pray for each other, okay? Go for it.